Welcome to the Stop Ruining My Childhood podcast, a sometimes nostalgic, sometimes cynical look back at pop culture. Join us as we revisit movies, cartoons, and live action TV of the 80s and 90s and ask the question, does this hold up or did I just ruin my childhood? My name is Megan. And I'm Steve. And today we are looking at Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which you can find on Disney+. Plus. Before we get into our review... It's snack time, and it's, you can't enjoy a good movie, cartoon, or live-action TV without a great nostalgic snack. And today's is Bubble Tape. Um, Hubba Bubba's, to be specific, Bubble Tape. Um, the gum that comes on a roll. It's six feet of fun, as promised, on the outside of the container. Well, that's the promise, but we'll have to see whether it holds up. So, Steve, tell me, as you're opening this, I have to say, this is um, bubblegum flavored. It looks, the roll kind of looks like Pac-Man when you open its mouth. Um, and you can smell the bubblegum. Oh, yeah, it's got that 80s hubba bubba bubblegum smell to it. It reminds me of my favorite, Big League Chew. Yeah, we're going to have Big League Chew another time, but we couldn't find it for this week. Um, while Steve is taking in either the glory or the horror that is mm. bubble tape, Hubba Bubba, my memories of Hubba Bubba are like you're in line at the grocery store and you see the bubble tape and you know that if you just get a pack of the Hubba Bubba, you're going to have to eat like eight pieces for the flavor to last more than 30 seconds um and uh you beg your mom to get the bubble tape and she says no <laughs> yeah the great my... thing about bubble tape was it came out and like as a kid six feet of bubble gum seems like an eternity yeah like you're gonna have bubble tape forever it was at the same time fruit by the foot came out we'll have to try fruit by the foot again i hate this this Remember, gum. fruit this... by the foot, which was fruit roll up, but in a in a roll, basically. In a it was, big roll. It yeah. was the fruit roll up equivalent to bubble tape. I hate this bubble gum. My... This is glorious. No, my problem with this bubble gum is I've mentioned this on the show before. I have a lot of food allergies. One of them is to mint. So when I would go to the dentist, he as a kid, he'd have to use bubble gum flavored toothpaste, and and this is what it tastes like. I, I don't like this at all. When I chew gum, like Hubba Bubba, even, I used to like the kind that had the two flavors. Do you remember? It's like a square of gum, and it would have, like, watermelon on the outside and, like, strawberry on the yep. inside. Yeah. Okay. This is phenomenal. And it's, no. And it's, it goes exactly with the theme of today's movie, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, because when you look at Jessica Rabbit, you want to say Hubba Bubba. <laughs> Which I think, do they? I think they do at some they point. They might. They might. Yeah, so that's why we picked this for today, Hubba Bubba. Um, we are grading out of carrots, although I have to say, after watching the movie, we should be grading on a scale of scotch on the rocks, but um, we don't drink, and this is a family-friendly show. That's so true. So we're grading out of carrots, one out of five for the snack, and one out of ten for the movie. So out of five carrots, how many do you give Hubba Bubba bubble tape? Uh, I have to give it four. It was excellent. I have to give it like one 
one moldy carrot. Oh. <laughs> I care for this. We are split on this just like as much as we were last time we talked about candy cigarettes. Candy cigarettes were phenomenal. No, I finished half the pack. I couldn't even I couldn't even finish a full bite. I had to <laughs> had to get rid of it. So, um, let's have a quick overview summary of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. If you haven't watched it um, before or you haven't watched it in a long time, Steve's going to summarize it. But before he does, I should say, um, this is a show where we give spoilers because we're talking about movies that are 30 years old. <laughs> yeah, if, if you haven't seen it and you're concerned about spoilers, pause the podcast. Go watch it on Disney+. Plus. Go watch it on Disney+. Plus. And then come back and pick up where we're about to find. And I will say again, uh, as another uh, warning, um, we've mentioned this before, but Steve and I are married. Um, be careful if you want to play along at home because you might really disagree and um, you might end up ruining your childhood and, and possibly having a little marital spat. Yeah, <laughs> this is not something we would... we. Do, don't try this at home, okay? We don't, we don't recommend it for everybody, but if you want to play along, do it. Um, so, the summary, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Tell the people what it's so, about. So, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, in its, in its, in its base, is a detective story. Um, and the summary of it is we pick up in 1947, um, and we have Eddie, who is a detective gumshoe-type person um he's very it's actually very tropey because he's the alcoholic detective who used to be a cop and now he's fallen on hard times because of tragedy um and so we pick up with him and he's doing of course what sleazy detectives would be doing he's taking jobs of like taking blackmail pictures for people um and we pick up where he's being hired by the head of a studio to take some blackmail pictures of roger rabbit's wife because Roger Rabbit can't seem to concentrate on his work. And the head of the studio says that it's because his wife is a distraction. And so if they could prove that his wife's stepping out on him, then Roger Rabbit might be able to focus on his career more. Um, so he does that. And then, of course, he takes pictures of uh, Jessica Rabbit, with who is not a rabbit, if you've never seen the show, by any means. Um, and it picks up. He takes these blackmail pictures of her playing patty cake with... The head of Acme, which is hilarious because it's, you know, Acme toys and things like that that you see in every cartoon. He takes pictures, these blackmail pictures, and then, of course, Roger Rabbit gets upset. The next day, this guy, Acme, who was in the pictures with Jessica Rabbit, turns up dead. And so now you've got this detective story of finding out who did it because, of course, everyone blames Roger Rabbit. But um, Roger hides out and comes to beg Eddie for his assistance. And so Eddie ends up teaming up. It's kind of a buddy detective cop story. He teams up with Roger Rabbit to try to find out who framed Roger Rabbit. Um, and that's really the point of the whole thing. They go through, there's a number of red herrings and people that kind of seems like might be behind it. Um, and then near the end, you find out that this judge who is uh, buying up real estate and running this gang of like weasel cops these cartoon weasels um tends to it, he's behind it all basically and it's it's interesting because you have to understand that in this world where reality is blent with cartoon there's people interacting with cartoons throughout the entire movie which is fantastic and then of course real world neighbors up against toontown which is this cartoon version of a world that real people and cartoons can go in and out of. 
And so this judge basically wants to get rid of Toontown. And so he has this master plan to use this stuff he calls dip, which is basically like paint thinner. Yeah, it's <laughs> Because the tunes are all you know painted and, and drawn. Yeah. And so he can kill these tunes or all of Toontown with this dip stuff. And so um, he ends up... That's his big play in this. It comes down to like a finale at the end where they're in this Acme um, factory right next to uh, Toontown. On the other side of Toontown, there's like a brick wall. And he's going to smash this machine through and start, you know, spraying turpentine and paint thinner all over Toontown and killing everybody. Um, And Eddie ends up saving Roger Rabbit and his wife. He finds out the judge was behind not only killing acme but also killing his brother who you find out during the course of the story that eddie and his brother used to be very fun loving they used to work for tunes um and they were a detective duo until a tune killed his brother and was never found and so it finds comes to find out this judge is the tune in disguise that killed his brother um and so he gets revenge by killing he runs over the judge with a steamroller, and then the judge pops up as a tune, and then he ends up um, spraying dip all over the place, and the judge melts like the Wicked Witch of the West. Um, in the end, everyone lives happily ever after. So that's kind of the overall summary of the plot of the movie. So, uh, Megan, what are some of your history fun facts? I actually have a lot of them for this movie, so I, I don't want to like overwhelm people. Um, if you want to read more about it, there there are some great articles um, that you can find, like fun facts about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And there's also, we watched, um, I think it's about 40 minutes long about the making of the movie. Mm-hmm. But just to give some kind of like historical context. So first, um, we kind of didn't mention the cast, but Bob Hoskins stars as Eddie Valiant. We have Christopher Lloyd fresh off of um, Back to the Future as Judge Doom. Joanna Cassidy is playing Dolores, Charles Fleischer is Roger, and then Kathleen Turner is Jessica. But they also have a number of other um, voice actors. Mel Blanc voices Bugs Bunny and Tweety Bird, um, Russie Taylor, who plays um, Minnie Mouse, uh, Mae Questel, who plays Betty Boop, and just a, a, a large number of other people. So it is on Disney+, Plus, and the first question people sometimes ask when they see the movie is, is this a Warner Brothers movie or is it a Disney movie? Because there are characters from both. And it's interesting that they teamed up. So a little bit of the story behind it, there's this book called Who Censored Roger Rabbit by Gary Wolf, which I did read (laughs) um, for this episode. He wrote the first book around 1981. It's quite a bit different. It's set in the 1980s. It's still this like parody of noir um, where you have a grizzled detective, but the, the plot is quite different. Roger Rabbit goes to him asking him, why he's not being given his own comic strip. So in this world, all the tunes are doing comic strips like you would find in the Sunday paper. Mm -hmm. Um, And they talk in balloons. And so the comic strips are like photographs of these cartoon characters speaking in, in balloons. They can also create doppelgangers of themselves for difficult shots. So, like, if a tune needs to be, like, stuffed into a big, (laughs) like, a big tuba, right? Uh, They would create a doppelganger of themselves so that they don't really get hurt, which is kind of interesting. But Disney picks up this property. They had had a split. um, Don Bluth worked for Disney 
for a long time and he split with them and formed his own company so he does movies that we're going to talk about in other episodes like land before time and american tale and disney starts to really suffer they go through this period in the 80s where they're making some movies but not really many um after they have the black cauldron they don't make anything for like three or four years and meanwhile don bluth is making everything in the 80s right. that's animated right and they did Oliver and Company, which is, I don't know because well we haven't talked about it yet on the show, but I I remember it being like it's okay, right? Um, and so this is kind of a movie that um, put them back on the map, and it kind of has been said that it it kicked off the Disney Renaissance where we get Aladdin. Little Mermaid, um, Beauty and the Beast, which I think was the first animated movie nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. We have Lion King, right? All of those that come about after this. So it really was a real collaboration with Steven Spielberg from Amblin Entertainment, who at this point is blowing up um, Indiana Jones and E.T. and Goonies and all of those things. Robert Zemeckis, who had just done Back to the Future, and Disney, and then they also paid Warner Brothers for the use of their characters in this movie with the provision that they had to have the same amount of screen time as the Disney characters. So what they did is they pair them up. They have Daffy Duck from Warner Brothers and Donald Duck from Disney, and they're in the same scene. They have Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse in the same scene. Yeah. So. um, And you also have, you mentioned this collaboration of all these people, probably through Steven Spielberg, he also brings in ILM, Industrial Lights and Magic, which is George Lucas's group. Yeah, so the one thing that they really wanted to do, though, is they did not want any computer animation. It's 1988, and actually Pixar has made some shorts, including, I think it's called Toy Soldier that won an Academy Award for like Best Short Film. So they talked about that, and they were like, no, we really want it to have, it's from the, it's set in the 40s, and we want it to have this vintage look. So what they did is, call, they called it two and a half dimension. It's not 3D the way a CGI image would be um it's two and a half meaning it's the traditional animation but with additional like shading highlights and texture so if you see like jessica rabbit and she's in her dress it has sparkles on it and it shimmers and it goes like the light kind of goes through it at certain points um and uh i'm laughing because people claimed that they could see her underwear which i couldn't see in this movie but there's a difference the opening scene is 2d traditional cartoon yes and when it switches over you can roger looks different just enough that you can tell yeah just enough that you can tell but the idea is that these cartoons are sharing the same space with people so before you know you have movies like bedknobs and broomsticks and mary poppins that have sequences with animation and people together and you have a movie like pete's dragon where the dragon was animated through the whole thing but it's mostly outside of that it's people and a lot of the techniques that they used were don't move the camera have a still shot make sure that the lighting never changes and basically robert zemeckis was like no (laughs) screw you guys i'm gonna do this movie the way i want and they were able to do that in part. They had a new technology where this t- this um, hand-drawn animation could be printed directly onto the film. And that was some of the things that let them do that. But the practical effects we'll talk about through the movie 
are really amazing because there are no, there's nothing CGI. And I, I think when we get to the ratings, I think that's one of the reasons that this holds up. Mm-hmm. I think if you had 1980s CGI, it would show, especially with the technology we have today. So um, to me, it's a really interesting story. It's very interesting the way that they they shot it. Um, they would have like these puppets and then they would take the puppet away and they'd keep the same eye line, right? So that they look like they're making eye contact. And we have a lot of animatronics used for some of the special effects. The baby has a cigar that he's always using. It's a real cigar. There's a scene with an octopus at a bar where the octopus is like tossing real glasses into the air and that had to be Um, Very carefully choreographed, obviously. Um, And then after the movie, there really is like an explosion of merchandise, as there is with a lot of these things that we're talking about. Um, But comic books, I remember playing the video game. Um, They had a video game. I think we rented it from Blockbuster. But the video games, comic books, a lot of merchandising and... Um, and that kind of thing. So yeah, it was really kind of a, a huge, huge movie at the time. Um, so th- those are some fun facts. We're going to take a pause here. And when we come back, we'll talk about our memories and then we'll go into the full review and recap. This podcast is supported by its creators and listeners like you help keep our show ad free by visiting our website, stopruiningmychildhood.com. There you can find links to our social media. And this very podcast you're currently listening to. Both Megan and I are authors, and you can find links to our books on our About page. And on our Watch With Us page, you can find videos and links for all the shows and movies we discuss on the podcast. And more importantly, links to buy the nostalgic snacks we review as well. We also post bonus content about once a month. So like, subscribe, and follow. For a small independent podcast like ours, it really does make a difference. Thanks. And now back to the show. Okay, welcome back to the Stop Ruining My Childhood podcast. Again, I'm Megan. And I'm Steve. And um, we're talking about Roger Rabbit. So what are your memories of this movie? Did you see it in the theaters? I saw this in the theaters. I remember it quite right. I mean, it was what what year? 1988. So 1988. So I was 11. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely, I was old enough to remember quite a bit about it. I did see it in the in the theaters. I also, I think we might have owned it on VHS afterwards. So I've seen it a number of times as a kid. Um, I remember liking it. I'll be honest. I was not like overwhelmed by Roger Rabbit. I thought it was a. I thought it was a good show. I thought it was funny as an eleven year old kid. But again, I'm also at eleven years old. I'm I'm hitting that adolescent point where I'm almost sort of out of cartoons. Yeah. And so I'm more into kind of adult. More not adult film, obviously, <laughs> but more you know I'm into more um, older type movies, you know shows things, things for teens, things for teens and adults, right? Um, but I did I remember liking it. I remember I know how many people really went over the moon for this, and I think that you know it definitely when I think of my childhood, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is something that you know I wouldn't say that I recall it right off the top of my head. But if I saw a poster or something, I'd go, oh, yeah, that's that's my child. Like, I remember from Roger Rabbit. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the reasons that we picked this for the first movie that we're talking about is because I think it's such a unique blend of cartoon and live action that really, if you look at things even that have been done since, a lot of stuff like... Um, 
like that Pokemon movie that they recently did, mm-hmm. Detective Pikachu. Um, it's really CGI'd, right? It's not the traditional. And even things that were traditional, if you've ever seen even clips of Cool World, it does not look good. It's yeah. very flat. They don't have that 2.5D. It's very like 2D and the 3D, and they do not mesh well. Mm-hmm. My memories of this are, so I would have been nine. My brother really liked this movie, and I don't know whether or not we saw it in theaters. I can't remember. I know that we had it on VHS, but I think that we might have taped it off of TV because there were some things in the movie that I don't remember being in the version that I saw. But that could be that could be memory as well, right? Being like 9, 10, 11 watching this because there's so much in here that's just really for adults and not it's not really the kids movie that i remember it being that noir um like you said some of the tropes the grizzled detective the femme fatale the mystery the the pictures that they're you know the secret pictures Mm -hmm. and they're playing patty cake but it's like the way that they're saying patty cake is very apparent. Yeah, and Roger Rabbit patty responds cake. to it as if it, they're sex photos. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And they, they have this really funny gag where he's flipping through them and it becomes like an animation flip book yeah. would be. And a lot of the jokes are really meant for baby boomers as well. I mean, we you know, this is done in the 80s, but it is for adults to enjoy. Some of the jokes about, like, Betty Boop... <laughs> They mentioned things from the 1930s and 40s that most kids in the 80s would not have gotten those jokes. But keep in mind, we're talking 88, so baby boomers are in their 40s. Yeah. Right? They're the parents that are taking right. their kids yeah. to it. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the yeah. age that we are now. There's a Harvey joke. That was what I was yes. the one I was thinking of. And if you haven't seen Harvey, um, it's a movie with Jimmy Stewart where his he's seeing a puka he's seeing an invisible rabbit and the question is like is this rabbit there or is he insane and they make fun of eddie and they're like yeah my friend harvey over here right um so there are those kind of things but yeah let's go through um and do our recap and talk about highlights and lowlights um starting out it starts with the cartoon as you said it's more in 2d what did you think about the cartoon you know, I actually I liked it. I, I mean, the in, the initial opening cartoon was it was funny. It's kind of like a short that they would play in a theater, um, which seemed to be the kind of the the point. Uh, there's a lot of callbacks, right? Mm-hmm. It's Roger babysitting this baby um, and trying to keep the baby out of trouble, and everything the baby's doing is the baby's you know turning on the stove as it crawls across it. It's flicking knives across the room, right? Roger ends up in the oven, right? They're very old callbacks to, to animation. And the other lo- thing I love, which is a callback to. 40s 50s 60s animation and even 80s muppet babies Mm. is the mom you only see the legs yes it's all shot at the baby slash roger rabbits level yeah Um, and it it really is you're mentioning 40s cartoons and if if they watch at one point a goofy cartoon but it very much is in that range of goofy like they're the cartoon character is in peril and it's like improbable physics. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, and, and it's slapstick cartoon. It's slapstick. Yeah, it's slapstick comedy. They made more shorts after this. Like they showed one, I know, with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. They showed another. Um, they had like, I think, three shorts. And they were very much the same as this opening. Yes. What I realized la- later, like in doing the podcast stuff and thinking about it and trying to analyze it a bit, 
part of the reason that they have this first is to show that these are cartoons who are trying to entertain and then bring them into the real world, right? Like the director yells at Roger for having Tweety Birds around his head after he gets knocked out instead of stars. Um, But you don't see Roger after this for like another 20 minutes. So I think that it's very important that you have this short so that if, especially for kid viewers, that they're drawn in, that they like Roger, they think he's funny, and they're willing to wait the next 20 minutes before they see him again. So um, after that, we follow Eddie, and he really is this grizzled alcoholic detective. And he, when he goes in to talk to R.K. Maroon, who supposed to kind of be like maybe one of the Warner Brothers. Yeah. Maybe maybe Walt Disney. This was one of the highlights for me is that you could take the cartoons out of this and have it be a really cool noir film about yes. old Hollywood. But they have all of these gags in the background. And as Eddie's going into the offices and then coming back out, like there, there's a guy playing the saxophone and the brooms from Fantasia are sweeping up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the the um, the hippo from Fantasia sits down and breaks a bench, and this guy this guy yeah. goes flying, um, a real guy. Yeah. So again, it's these practical effects. Dumbo shows up in the yeah. air and scares. Guys Eddie. are loading crates, and one of them. Op- breaks open and it's the band playing themselves like the instruments yeah and they're running around and they're trying to grab them and it's it's just so it's just so funny and it really to me it did you mentioned muppet babies and it reminded me of the muppets that we are suspending disbelief to say okay this is a world where both of these things they coexist right um so then we meet dolores what did you think of Dolores? Dolores is Eddie's flame, basically, right? Mm-hmm. He used to be Eddie's girlfriend until he went down the bottle because of his brother's death, right? And there's there's callbacks where he's looking at old pictures of them on the beach at Catalina. She's kind of the voice of reason. But it's interesting in the story, I thought, that she's the voice of reason. She's supposed to be his solid rock, right? But Eddie has obviously become an alcoholic, and she runs the bar. Yeah. So she's also like the she's, enabling pr- she's also the enabler in the in the piece, right? Yeah, I I felt like I don't know what the sequence that they shot this in. Joanna Cassidy, I also remember from being um in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. She plays the boss. <laughs> That's the other thing that I know her from. But she's very I felt like her acting was a little bit stiff in the beginning of this movie. I think she's supposed to be kind of like a tough as nails. She's seen it all, but she's also supposed to be softer because she's like his heart that he can't really show, right? And they're they're still together, but they've seen this hard time and his brother's died and all that. But um, yeah, to me, I don't know. I didn't feel that... In the beginning of the movie, I didn't feel that chemistry between them. And I wondered if they shot those scenes first. Because yeah, later on, it, I feel like It almost more. seems like she's a friend of his at the beginning. Yeah. Then they let on to the Catalina thing and the pictures. And it's not until they almost kiss in the movie theater that you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, there's still a thing there. But, I mean, let's point out, too, is Bob Hoskins, who does a phenomenal job He's as Eddie amazing. here, is amazing, is not your typical romance actor. 
So yeah. it's not someone that, you know... He's not like a typical heartthrob kind of guy. And, and that's one of the things that I did like, is that they look like normal people. I mean, they're, they're actors, but they're not like... I, originally, they thought about casting Harrison Ford in that part. And I, it wouldn't have worked the no. same way. <laughs> and I don't know that Harrison Ford would have had the ability, as Bob Hoskins does, to at times he has to be goofy. Yeah, I don't silly. think Harrison Ford has the comedy chops to play Yeah, the out. comedy chops. Harrison Ford does have a sense of humor, but it's a very dry, sarcastic. Like, yes. it would not really have fit in this in this movie but i so then at any rate eventually we go and we see uh this we see this bar that the tunes are at now i will say what i really like that this movie does is it teases the idea that you're about to see something spectacular several different times he's walking through the hallway and then he's at the door, and then the doors open, and it's almost like Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. every time. Um, here, that's what happens. He goes through this dark hallway. You hear the tunes before you see them, and then it opens up, and we have these penguins carrying trays, um, and the dueling piano scenes. Love. Yeah. Love it. I love it so much. To me, this is a huge highlight. It was as a kid. I finally was able to go to a dueling pianos bar when I was like 30. Mm-hmm. And I was like, finally, <laughs> my new friend Roger Rabbit dreams have come true. What's great is because they utilize Donald Duck and Daffy Duck as animation doing live action pianos, right? Yes. There's, they're able to do dueling pianos, but at the same time bring in the physicality of animation. So they're slapping each other, throwing each other inside the piano, right? It ends with Donald firing a cannon... <laughs> Right out of yeah. one of the things at and bl- almost blowing up Daffy Duck, and it really is like finally this is how animation and those like we talked about the peril that we see in the in the early clip, right? Yeah, you're finally seeing like the manifestation of that in the real world. It's yeah. so great, and the detail here. I mean, the penguins carry are carrying real trays with real drinks. There, I mentioned the octopus earlier, but the detail of the pianos. They are moving the keys, right? They're probably player pianos mm-hmm. somehow hooked up. But they have, you can see the the tunes are, there's a reflection of both of them because right. the pianos are um, grand pianos. One's black, one's white. They're both very shiny. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, that, it's that level of detail that yes. is one of the great things about this movie. They really, it's meticulous. And there's a lot of contrast too, yes. right? Donald is playing the black piano, Daffy's playing the white. Now, they swap in between because it's this battling pianos thing, right? They swap back and forth, back and forth. It's very visual. Mm -hmm. Um, It's awesome. And, you know, there's this great throwaway line at the end. You've got this escalation where they're, first off, they're just playing against each other. Then they're, like, slapping each other. Then they're throwing each other around. Then, like, they're really getting very violent in a cartoon sense. Donald blows a hole through the black piano with a cannon, almost killing Daffy. Right, and then they drop. Basically, the two hooks come out and grab both of them, yeah. pull them off. And the waiter says to Bob Hoskins, "Right, they're here every night. They never finish." Yeah, they never finish. And it's a just show. a throwaway line. And they do zoom in shots of mm-hmm. like a real movie. You know, that's what yeah. Robert um, Zemeckis wanted. He filmed this like a real movie. They zoom in on the the 
uh, Donald's tail feather yes. zooming the keys, right? Going down the keys. Um, but then we have this reveal of Jessica. What is so great is that her name is Jessica Rabbit. And if you if you've never seen this movie before, and certainly audiences at that point would not have, um, the reveal that she's not a rabbit. Because you would expect it, right? You have yes. Minnie Mouse, who's married to Mickey, right. right? Daisy Duck, right? Everybody you would expect to be that she's a rabbit. And Eddie's mouth hangs open, and yeah. um, Betty Boop is there, and she's kind of... Also, We I need to mention this. It's kind of implied that she and Eddie were a thing at one point. Like, possibly, they're like, she's like, oh, Eddie, haven't seen you here in a while. You right. know, like, that maybe that they kind of had a fling before he was with Dolores. I don't know. But you have Betty, who was a... Uh, black and white. Who was a black and white, but also kind of a black and white, I don't want to say sex icon, a but sort of, of a cartoon, right? Yeah. She was, like, the ideal sexy woman cartoon, right, many years ago. And then all of a sudden, Jessica Rabbit steps out, yeah. who is like the updated version that pales Betty Boop in comparison. So Jessica Rabbit really is drawn to be like a Tex Avery cartoon. I mean, Tex Avery also drew Bugs Bunny and things like that. But there are some cartoons from the 40s that were really not meant for kids, like wartime kind of cartoons. Mm -hmm. And they would have these women, and one of them is called um, Red Hot... Riding Hood. They're almost drawn in a pinup style. Yeah, it's like which a is what she is. She's drawn very pinuppy, very Barbie. She has little little feet in high heels. Yeah, huge breasts. Right. Yeah. yeah. Curves that are very, there that are drawn to excess. Yeah, they're right. They're meant to be. I think and. In the making of Robert Zemeckis says, like, if she was real, she would fall over. Yes. Nobody yeah. could walk around in those proportions. And a sequin dress that would not stay on in real life. Yeah, but if you look at Red Hot Riding Hood, that character looks almost exactly like Little Red Riding Hood from that cartoon. And it similarly, a chanteuse, that's her job. She is mm -hmm. a lounge singer. Um, now, as an adult watching this, way more sexual than I remember way more um it's almost between being a lounge singer and or a you know cabaret singer whatever you want to call it burlesque it almost is yeah she's not exactly stripping but she comes up to the men and again the interaction between animation and live but she takes a cloth and rubs it on this bald guy's head she takes eddie by the tie and pulls him forward by you know mm -hmm. by the tie and then lets the tie drip she's sitting in laps she sits in his lap and shoves his hat in his face um yeah extremely sexual this is a movie that's pg and it's not pg for this reason it's pg because there are like weapons basically right. in it um, but that part, it did surprise me. I mean, I just didn't remember it being quite that. If I was watching this with kids, I would feel awkward. The great <laughs> That's thing all I can say. The great thing about this whole scene, and it is Jessica Rabbit's interaction is part of it. The waiters with, with him, um, Betty with him, the octopus bartender. Mm -hmm. This entire scene starts off a, a sequence that follows through the entire movie Right, which is what makes this movie so much so special is the engagement. Mm -hmm. Right, yes. Animation and live action together is not new. 
right, right at this point, even, especially with Disney. Yeah. But it's not new, right? You go back to 1964. You're talking 40, 44 years earlier. Mm. You've got Mary Poppins. Tw- 24. Yes, I'm sorry, 24. That's 64 okay. to 80, yeah. right? So 24 years earlier, you've got Mary Poppins, mm-hmm. where you've got cartoons yeah. interacting with, right? And then also that same year, you've gotten a hidden gem, which is one of my favorite childhood movies that a lot of people don't remember. You've got the incredible Mr. Lumpet. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Mr. Limpet. Right. Yeah. Which is Don Knotts. Yeah, as a Who fish. turns into a fish. <laughs> but there's also in that, that same year, they're both done in 64, you've got animation thrown into live action. Right. But and the difference being is there's no real engagement. You've got actors dancing and then you've got animation spliced into the film next to them. This scene tells you this whole movie is going to be different because you've got characters hugging, sitting on laps, right, handing drinks. You've got Daffy and Donald touching real pianos. There's live engagement and there's there's touch that you didn't have before. And up to this point, like I said, it was more in the background, right? Now we are fully, and that's why I think it takes them through that door the way that they the way that they film that so that you're fully immersed in this world um and then um so jessica does her show acme follows her out uh eddie follows them and then we have the patty cake scene do you remember this as a kid because I remember being really I remember confused. The, I remember the pictures. I remember that he took pictures of her. But I'm going to be honest, looking, watching this again, and it's been 20, 30 years probably since I've seen Who Framed yeah. Roger Rabbit, right? Watching this again, I expected the pictures to be of them like in bed. Because okay. I knew what he was taking. And then when it actually, sh- I was like, oh, okay. I was like, now that's interesting. It's a cool way to do it. But I expected them to be not necessarily, you know, graphic, but her and him, like, sitting on a bed or something. Yeah, this actually came about... The the script went through a lot of rewrites. Like, at one point, Jessica was the killer. At one point, it was Baby Herman. Um, But this actually came from a line in the book, which is, your wife plays patty cake with one of the guys you work for, and you're just sitting here. Why why don't you care about that, basically? Um, But So they took it literally... And as a kid, so I would have been nine, um, you know, I how do I explain? My parents did really good uh, education with us in terms of health and, you know, sex education and not just having the talk, but really like two and three, like, don't let people touch you in weird way. Mm-hmm. You know, here's what your body parts are called. But um, we were not allowed to watch much on TV, like I've said before. And I was very confused by this scene. I was like, what is going on? And as a child, you weren't exposed to a lot of innuendo. And that's what this is. Right. I think that's that's the case. I think that's exactly, you hit the nail on the head. Because I was like, well, they're playing patty cake. Like, but you can just play patty cake. Like, who cares? And watching it back, Eddie's listening to them. Yeah. And you don't see until you see the pictures later. But he goes, I have a spot right here for you, my dear, on the bed. And she says... Oh, not tonight. I have a headache. And then they start going, patty cake, patty cake, patty cake. And it's very much like, yeah, you It's very sexualized. It's very sexual. It's very sexual. So I guess this might be one of the things that, like, they're just hoping kids don't fully get. But I did love after with the pictures, the flip book. 
Um, and then we see really Roger comes back into the movie as a main character. So he's like, please help me, Eddie. And he does this stutter. Um, they give him a drink and he bursts out through the... Yeah, he doesn't a, handle alcohol leaves well. Leaves a rabbit-shaped hole in the window, which did make me really laugh out loud. Then uh, the next day, Acme's dead. And that's where we have the appearance of Judge Doom. So yeah. how did you kind of feel about that character? Oh, well, Judge Doom, I think, you know, this is the thing. It's This is a very classic noir storyline. And Judge Doom plays the, you know, antagonist. He's dressed all in black, right? He's got a cane, and he's got, you know, he's got these weasels, which they're cartoon characters, but they're made to... They're, he even mentions, right, your cousins, the hyenas, and you think of... This is before Lion King, but now looking back, you think of the, the hyenas from Lion yeah, King. Yeah, and he, right? he talks about... He never blinks in this movie. Yeah. I mean, he does have a hat on. He has glasses. And at times, what's interesting is that, like, the light goes on his glasses so that they're just the reflection like you would see in a comic strip, like Dick Tracy or something. Um, first of all, I didn't know as a kid that this was the same person as the guy from Back to the Future. Right. So the acting here really is great. He looks totally different than he does in that movie and some of the other things I've seen him in. But um, I think he's just scary enough. Like, he's scary but not so scary that, like, a little kid might start crying in the right. theater and want to be taken you know, out. He had, he reminds me, and it's only a few years after this, but, of course, you do have Steven Spielberg, you do have George ILM involved in this, right? So a lot of things involved that are callbacks. The dress, the glasses, the wireframe glasses, the hat he's wearing, it reminds me on a very, like, core level of... The Nazi scientist from Indiana Jones. So it's right, yeah. Doctor Jones, right? It's got that evil, that almost feeling of yeah. And what's interesting is that they talked about doing a sequel a lot of um, a number of different times. One of the sequels was like a prequel, and it, it did involve Nazis. And Steven Spielberg had just finished Schindler's List, and he didn't want to use Nazis in that way anymore, mm -hmm. like he had with Indiana Jones or things like that. Um, so to me, that's kind of an interesting that you kind of picked up on that. Yeah, the weasels also, they're supposed to be police, but they're clearly not police. They're dressed up like mobsters. Yes. <laughs> the pinstripe suits. I just thought that was so great. That's like a, a really hint that these are really the bad guys. Um, oh, and then this is a highlight and a low light for me. The squeaking shoe. There's, so they're in the Acme warehouse. Mm -hmm. um, they have all the, the Judge Doom comes in and he's explaining what dip is. Now, there's a clue here because he puts on rubber gloves. Right. But turpentine wouldn't hurt a person. Yes. Right. But um, he picks up this shoe that's squeaking and he dips it and the shoe didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, he and executes so this thing. Right after he's talking about how he's going to hunt down Roger, try him. Yeah. And then execute him if he's found guilty. He picks up this shoe that's doing nothing but rubbing against him and just it just exterminates it. Yeah, and it's so it like really makes me want to cry even thinking about it cuz it's they they film it like it's animal abuse. I think yeah. that's that's kind of why, but it really is meant to to scare the heck out of you. Um then we cut to uh, Baby Herman with his... Baby Herman is 
the foil for Roger Rabbit, right? Mm-hmm. They're the ones that they they've been doing these cartoons together, and he's uh, at Eddie's office, kind of fighting for Roger. Yeah, and says another line from the book: "I've got a fifty-year-old lust and a three-year-old dinky." Yes. <laughs> yeah. After he smacks the live-action babysitter or nanny that's driving him around in his little buggy on the butt, right? But I think this is the part where it really for me, started to really pick up in terms of the comedy because now you have it. It's a buddy comedy, right? They're not cops, but it's kind of in that buddy cop genre. Well, this opening scene where Roger is hiding in Eddie's apartment, this is where it starts the buddy duo thing, right? And, of course, it's classic buddy duo as you have one where Eddie, who has nothing to do with the other, he's the straight man and he he, he doesn't want to help Roger Rabbit, right? Roger, of course handcuffs himself to Eddie and then you've got this hilarious you know scene of physical comedy of them running around you know throwing themselves around the apartment but then the weasels come in and they have to hide Roger so they hide Roger in the sink right and what gets me too is Roger keeps popping up to spit out water and gas breath he's a cartoon he doesn't have to breathe yeah, I didn't think about that till later, too. Um, these are the things you think about as an adult. The weasels are carrying guns, and the way that they do that is so interesting, like with strings, and then mm-hmm. they animate it around that. But you also have the water spurting up and um, all of that kind of thing. And you also have cartoon weasels carrying real guns yeah, that's, yeah. in the real world. And later, when Eddie goes into the cartoon world, he brings a cartoon gun. Yes, which is just hilarious. But um, Bob Hoskins' acting really needs to be called out in that scene because, you know, Charles Fleischer does an amazing job with the voice, and he really felt like it was voice projecting, not just a voiceover, because he's trying to interact with Bob Hoskins. But Bob Hoskins' acting here, when he pushes Roger's head down into the sink, you believe that there is weight there, right? Yeah. That he is actually, there's a force moving against him. And similarly, he's pretending to do his laundry and you can see like, you know, the the, the water kind of popping up and stuff like that. His acting like makes makes you believe that this is a scene with six or with seven individuals in it. Yeah. Five weasels, him and Roger, when in reality it's a one man show. Yeah, it's he's just, the only person there. It's just him. Um with the voice actors off stage. Yeah, and then we have um they go back to the bar and the bar has this like secret room behind it, probably from a couple years ago during Prohibition. Yeah, they mentioned it was from Prohibition, um, yes. Yeah, so they're hiding out and uh then they start taking the uh, saw to the handcuffs, and Roger goes, oh, would this help? And he slips out of the handcuffs. He slips out to hold the handcuffs better for for, for Eddie to, to cut. Yes, and then, he, and then he slips back in, and Eddie goes, you're telling me you could have come out of those cuffs any time? And Roger goes, no, no, only when it was funny. Yeah. And you're like, that's also why he's spitting the water. Because right. it's... Because it's, it's funny. Because it's funny. And that's the whole point. And he says, tunes are here to entertain and to make you laugh and um, and all of all of that. So in the background are all these clues about Cloverleaf Industries taking over the trolley line. Um, one guy gets laid off. They have, you know, again, the, the, the intricate detail... They have these guys who are workers in the bar. One of them, I don't know if you caught this, only writes on a notepad. Um, another one is working, I think, 
on the trolley line, so he always comes in with grease on his face. There's yep. um, that's so how you find out about the trolley line because they he met, because he just got laid off. Yes, and you see a sign. Up. Yep. You see a sign going on. There's another guy who's in World War II Army uniform, and he's missing an arm. Yeah, it's, he's an injured vet. It's those kind of things that um, you know. I don't think you could have this without Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg, but it is also, those are the kind of details that Disney is famous for, that they think about everything. Like, even if you go to the park, how far apart are the trash cans, right? Like, it's that kind of, like, level of detail. So, eventually, um, we finally get to, there's, um, Bob Hoskins goes and he's trying to interview R.K. Maroon. He thinks set up Roger to take the fall. And so, he's (laughs) interviewing him as putting it mildly. He's grinding his tie through a through a, dick, like a film editor like yeah. a film role um and um and then somebody shoots him and we've seen jessica rabbit on the scene and so we think it might be her um but we're not sure she well we also out. just moments ago saw her knock out roger and throw him in the trunk right with a frying pan yes which is such a great such a great detail but then they go to toontown so for me Again, highlight and low light here. I love the way that they do this. Eddie is driving a um, car. Oh, we forgot it. Another point, they drive a cartoon car, which is just amazing. Right. The cab. Benny the cab. Um, Benny the cab. And they have a, a chase while they're in this cartoon car. And it's it's hilarious. But at any rate, at, at this point, Eddie is in a real car. And he goes through a long tunnel. And there's ominous music playing. And then again, you have this like Wizard of Oz effect where the, the curtain You have the opens. red curtains, right? Which yeah. open. The red curtains open and were brought into Toontown with the greatest cheesiest most cheerful song my my low point on this is i felt like they're not in toontown for long enough and i think that they spent so much time bringing the tunes into our world it would have been nice to spend a little bit more time in their world even if you had had I don't know, one more scene or after, I don't know. I don't know how it could have been done, but I felt like we, we, we're only, we're in and out so quickly and I just wanted to be there more. Um, but the change, the change is great. The dark tunnel into the brightest smile, just smile as the trees from Merry Melodies are waving around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have this bit where Eddie thinks he sees somebody who's Jessica and she's one of these like they they do a very classic, like beautiful from far away and then kind of a butterface. Yes. And she's like, a man yep. <laughs> and chases him. And we also have the cartoon gun. And before Eddie stops, before going into Toontown, because the other thing, too, and this is kind of plays into your question, is we don't see a lot of Toontown because Eddie has sworn off Toontown right. because of his brother's death. Yeah. So it's almost like this thing that he, he absolutely doesn't want to go there. But he has to go because now Jessica and Roger have fled into Toontown. And so he pulls out this old box, opens it up, and there's a cartoon revolver and six cartoon bullets, right? And they're all like, Eddie, is that you? We ain't seen you in Tarnation. They're cowboys and an Indian. Yes. Right? Yeah. And they're Very all Very stereotypical. Old. Yes. 
But it's Slim Slim Pickens is one of the voices. Mm. Um, and he had a bit part in Batch of the Future Part Three as another cowboy. Yeah. Um, and another person, I can't I don't remember the names of the other two people, but they're all like Oh, my eyes. I haven't been woken up in ages. Yeah. And it is. I just love it. I love the gun. And then he fires it and they go, oh, which way did he go? Well, he went that yeah. way. And but you also have, this is a turning point in the movie, too, because Eddie loads the gun. He pulls out his flask of liquor that mm-hmm. he keeps in his holster because he doesn't normally carry a gun anymore. Yes. And instead of drinking it, he pours it out. Yeah. Right? Throws it up in the air, fires off a gun, the cartoon gun, mm-hmm. and the Native American bullet flies up in the air near the glass booze bottle and then whips out a tomahawk and chops it in half. Yes. Yes. Which <laughs> is just, oh, it's just so hilarious. And um, so at any rate, they, they go through Toontown. They have a bit where this woman is chasing Eddie around. He has to, um, he goes through these cartoonish situations. Mm. We we see Tweety Bird, we see Bugs Bunny, we see Mickey Mouse, yes. right? Um, and he goes off a building and falls and then is given a spare, but he thinks it's a parachute, but it's a spare tire. Yeah. So it's these very like cartoonish gags. He pulls up the road and has her run into the wall and that's how he gets away from her and then we very quickly come back into the real world so then we're back in the acme warehouse and we have the classic like villain tells you his whole plot right (laughs) Right? and so judge doom is talking about what he's going to do to these characters and why he's going to dip them um jessica and roger are tied up with tune resistant rope so to kind of explain yeah, why they can't just get out of it it's to it's tune escape proof rope escape or something proof like rope, that. yeah and then um at a certain point the judge leaves to let the weasels finish the job so this is my low point for the movie because eddie does a song and dance to distract the weasels and to make them laugh what did you think of the song and dance? Well, it, to make them laugh till they die. Right. Right, because yeah. they've mentioned three or four times that that's if you laugh cousins. too much, you can die. Yeah, that's how right? their cousins died. Um, it's it's not the high point of the movie. Um, Bob Hoskins does a, a great job of trying to do it. Um, it's very it's very slapsticky. It's very clowny. But then again, there are callbacks because when at the beginning of the movie, when it's showing pictures of him and his brother it shows that they were at ringling brothers as children mm. right it's very clown ringling brothers circusy yeah where he's juggling he's and juggling he's doing and he backflips. cannonballs up in the air and they hit him in the head i think this is one of those things where it's it's like it is the podcast name stop ruining my childhood because i this is like um another example like in harry potter where they all clap and i right. hated movies when people clap but um it's like that or um napoleon dynamite's dance mm-hmm. right the the final scene in footloose where they all dance at the prom right. it's supposed to be kind of like that and i think for kids that they would find it funny it also i would say in looking at it and thinking about it again, I think it's supposed to be awkward at first because he hasn't done this in a while. Um, so it's supposed to be kind of awkward and then he gets into it and um, you do feel the tension of the the dip 
it's shooting out and you're like, oh, yeah. you, you kind of still do feel that tension. And then, and then we have him pull out a singing sword to cut the tension. And to me, this was one of the most brilliant parts of the movie. <laughs> because you have Frank Sinatra's face on this cartoon sword and it starts singing. And I, don't, I almost lost it. I almost lost it. You know, the, the song and dance are cheesy. Yeah. They're definitely cheesy. But I think it is important because this is the point where everything seems lost, right? And the only way that grizzled detective Eddie can overcome the bad guys is he has to give in to the funny, childish part of him that he's buried, right? Him and his brother were known for having a sense of humor, for loving the tunes, for being funny. And that's the only thing that actually saves them is he has to give in to being that foolish kind of person again. Yeah, and so you really do have... In, in terms of the buddy comedy, a lot of times it's two different journeys, and that's what we're seeing here. Mm-hmm. Roger's journey is going through this period of doubt of does his wife love him, and um, why has he been framed, and can he be redeemed and, mm-hmm. and save Toontown? Because there's also, we haven't mentioned, but Toontown is up for grabs, right? right. There's a will that's supposed to be leaving it to the tunes, all of that. Eddie's journey is much more internal, that he's not paying his bills, he's drinking away all of his money, the little money that he's getting. He has what seems like a, a failing relationship that is more like friends at this point with his sweetheart, who mm-hmm. he's kind of wanting to be with but unable to. Um, and we see that from the first scene in his office. Roger puts his hand on his brother's chair. He screams at him. Roger takes his hand away and there's an imprint left in the dust Mm -hmm. that that's how long it's been that this chair is dusty and so he goes through this emotional journey yeah of finding his joy again and being able to um be emotionally free while rogers you know legally free he can't punch or shoot his way out of this it's something he has to do through kind of finding who he was in himself yeah so because of that, it's an emotional journey. And then we have the reveal of Judge Doom that Steve described earlier so so well with he's flattened out, then he comes back. Um, and uh, remember me, Eddie, when I killed your brother, I talked like that. Yeah. He's got this high, high, I'm not even doing it right, but he's got a very high-pitched voice. And then um, Eddie's able to release the dip onto the judge. The judge says, I'm melting, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and Toontown is saved. Um, the disappearing ink, reappearing ink that was on the... Um, piece of paper that Roger wrote a love letter to his wife on um, is now found and Toontown belongs to the tunes. The wall between the Toontown and our world is knocked down. Um, and um, the idea is, yeah, it's a happy ending. We're going to have more of this together. He's definitely now with Dolores. They're, they're able finally to kiss after trying mm-hmm. three times. Roger and Jessica are back together. Uh-huh. They're reunited and um, and everybody cheers and then the smile song plays again. Mm-hmm. The whole world is a great world after all. So, 
And and of course we we realize that Jessica wasn't bad, right? When she hits Roger with a frying pan and puts him in the trunk, she's trying to protect him. She's not right? bad. She's just drawn that. And way. And that's what it calls back to, right? One of the greatest lines: "I'm not bad, Eddie. I'm just drawn that way." Which is also from the book. Right. It's interesting that they took so many lines from the book. These like really the lines I remember were also in the book, which says something, even though the storyline has nothing to do with it. Um, so that's the end of Roger Rabbit. Out of carrots, one out of ten. Does it hold up, or did you ruin your childhood? What, well, what, are you do, you, what do you think? I think I will say this. I think there are some really funny gags. It's a solid noir story, even without the cartoon characters. But the cartoons add, you know, everything. As I said, was so meticulous. It has kind of a quaint look, but it doesn't feel dated in part because it's set in the 40s. So it's a period piece anyway. If it was set in the 80s, I don't think it would hold up as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's really well acted. The practical effects, you know, smoking the cigar, breaking the dishes, holding the gun, um, holding a tray of uh, (laughs) scotch with actual rocks in it. Mm -hmm. You know, there are all these little jokes and I really enjoyed watching it again. Yeah. I really did. Um, I kind of feel the way you said as a kid. I feel the same way now. It's a great movie. Technically, it's done very well. I think it won like four Academy Awards for technical and, you know, special effects. Noir isn't my super favorite. So I think like a seven or an eight out of ten. I think that's about where I am. Okay. Yeah. How about you? Well, there's a few factors here. First off, I love noir. Right? I'm a detective fiction person. I yeah. love that genre. This is a callback. They did it right. Yeah. There's a lot, you know, the thing with noir is unfortunately classically the trope of noir is it's cheesy. And this was not. You know, it, it could have been a call to a detective film but kid friendly and a kid film. It was not. The, when, if you take everything else out of this and just look at it as a detective story, it was great. There's a detective who, as we said before, goes through a change, right? There's a hero's journey for him. There's a great mystery because until the end, you're not really sure. Yeah, it, that, there are yeah. There are red herrings. It could have been a number of people. And, and as you said, it kind of shows that even when they're writing the script, they had different ideas of who it could have been. And I will say this to your point. Now you're kind of making me reconsider. You, you already got the review. You but, don't get to change. Well, and no, you don't get to do I'm anything. I'm going to change. I still give it an eight. I think it is solid. It's, it's just like I would reserve a 10 for like my very favoriteest movie of all time. But um, this is an adult movie that kids cannot also enjoy. And I think that's kind of what you're pointing to. That a right. lot of movies for families now are made for kids and then they try to put in jokes for adults. And this is the opposite. Right. This is a movie for adults where they try to put in some right. jokes for so kids. you've got that aspect of it. It's great noir detection film, right? Mm-hmm. It's really great as far as the callback to a lot of the cartoon characters. Daffy Duck, um, right? Donald Duck, Mickey, Bugs Bunny, um... There's, you know, the gorilla in a monkey suit, right? They have some new characters with Roger and Jessica, Betty Boop shows, right? There's all sorts of classic cartoon callbacks in this that make it interesting, that make it um, enjoyable. And as we mentioned before, strengths like the engagement between the two worlds I found was really interesting. I think part of the reason that they didn't spend as much time in Toontown 
is because that had been done before. Mm. When we think of like the yeah. if when we think of Don Knotts, when we think of Mary Poppins, those two films were real people that had been thrown onto an animated background. Yep. The new part of this was the tune in the real world. And that's where they really shone on this aspect, right? So I'll say this. Who framed Roger Rabbit? What they should have called it was Who Stole Adult Steve's Heart? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm going to give Steve. it nine carrots. All right. Because I enjoyed it much more as an adult than I did as a child. And I think it does hold up. I think one of the amazing, pr- probably one of the best choices they made in creating this movie was to make it in 1947. I because think it holds too. up. There's yeah. no cell phones. There's nothing yeah. that's dated. And I, um, I, yeah, I'll, ch- I'll, I'll give it a nine too. No, I'll you can't change. No, you have seven point five no. on the books. No, I, I said an eight, but um, I think you're right. And in thinking about it, I do think I enjoyed it more as an adult than than I did as a kid. There, uh, again, things like the patty cake scene that I did not understand right. <laughs> at the time, um, all of that. So we'll say, we'll call it a nine. A nine out of ten for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And again, you can find that on Disney+. Plus. The The making of Who Framed Roger Rabbit is on Disney+. Plus. It's also on YouTube. And you can find the shorts um, on both of those as well both those services as well so nine out of ten carrots steve rated it megan copied him you all heard it she changed it just as a point of order you convinced me you convinced me you had a good argument um so that's it for who framed roger rabbit on our next episode if you haven't listened to us before we look at um a, a movie and then a cartoon and then a live action show so next week we are looking at Strawberry Shortcake, um, and I have a feeling that it's not going to be as rated as highly as Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but we'll see. Um, and then um, outside of this show, um, tell people where you can find us. Well, you can find us at uh, Roll Again channel on YouTube, where I host a number of uh, Dungeons & Dragons themed um Live, programs live action yep, campaign live action campaign and a few different uh short videos you can find us there and you can find our books right now on amazon um i write under the name mc hall for books for adults and my book smothered and also sutherland are up there and i write under megan e cassidy for books for kids and if you like noir detective fiction um, I write, um, my, my author name is Douglas Alexander, and I have a book that came out in 2019 called Killer Curriculum, which I am working on the sequel to as we speak. Um, it was pretty well received, so you can find it on Amazon, uh, Killer Curriculum, and uh, it is a callback to the same type of detective noir genre. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, you, that's where you can find us. Find us on Amazon and support the podcast by looking at our books. Um, and definitely check out Roll Again because we have a lot of fun playing Dungeons & Dragons with um, some of our friends. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review and tell your friends because it really does make a difference for a small podcast like this. Other than that, have a great day. And we will see you next week uh, with Strawberry Shortcake. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.